Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey finishes out the Song of Solomon series, teaching on how our hearts can be secured by the fiery love of God. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Okay, we are on, depending on how you're counting, session 11 or 12 for Song of Solomon. It, 12, session 12 for Song of Solomon. Um, I think it's interesting how it all landed that we're actually ending the fast and ending our series like on the same night. Like that's a... Kind of cool how the Lord did that. We didn't plan that. Um, tonight, I would just say this, and I know I know I say things are significant and all that. This one is very significant for me personally because my understanding of God radically shifted, radically shifted when I began to understand Song of Solomon 8. And I'll, I will give more context to that. But I'm asking the Lord, I've been praying this afternoon, asking the Lord that tonight would be a profound moment for many of y'all. I'm believing that this season that we've had of going into Song of Solomon, that much of what you've experienced, what you've heard, what the Lord's been speaking to you, that it would be sealed in your heart even tonight. And I would just encourage you, if, if you didn't, weren't able to you know, get all the messages. They're all on our podcast. You can go back and listen to them. And we've given as much of a, really? Did you just walk in from Egypt? Okay. Genesis just, did you just get off the plane and come here right now? Okay. Wow. She was in Egypt on a faith journey, just sharing the gospel and preaching to people and all the stuff. So (laughs) welcome. Glad you're here. That's so cool. Um, Anyway, but you can go back and listen on the podcast and pick up, you know, the other lessons. But I would also encourage you this. Make Song of Solomon a habit for your whole life. Make it a habit for your whole life. Because in one series, it doesn't, you're not going to get like every detail of it. It's going to touch your heart. It can move things in you. And I believe the Lord can seal it in you. But I would just say, I've gone back through Song of Solomon dozens of times in the last 20 years. And it's continued to minister to me over and over and over again. So go back through it. But tonight, I want to. I'm gonna fit. I want to personally lay hands on every person that wants prayer tonight, because this is that profound to me. And the work that God's done in my life, as it relates to Song of Solomon, and specifically what I'm going to share from Song of Solomon eight verse six, I want to. I'm. I'm believing God to impart that. To anybody that wants that tonight, I'm believing for that. That's what I, I came tonight and prayed this afternoon and asked the Lord, release that same thing that you did in me. Do it in everybody in Gatekeepers that wants it. So I want to I personally lay hands on every single person that wants prayer tonight and ask the Lord to do these things in you. So, all right, with that, let's pray and then we'll get into the word. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for how kind you are to us. Thanks for ministering to us through the worship and, and even pointing out and putting your, your hand on our hearts in areas of disappointment and calling us into the wonder and the beauty of who you are. 
as the one that will never, never leave us or forsake us. You'll never let us down. So we look to you right now, and you promise that they that look to you, their faces are radiant. They'll never be put to shame. So thank you. So what I'm asking for the spirit of revelation right now on the room, I ask for hunger in our hearts, hunger in our hearts, that we would draw on heaven, that we would experience the bounty of heaven tonight, and that you would minister to us. And even as we're finalizing this fast for revelation of Jesus and the end times, that you would even tonight, you would mark and seal our hearts with the fire of your love. So thank you for doing everything you want to do. Lord, I ask you to hold my hand. Let me speak as your oracle tonight in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Okay, so Song of Solomon chapter 8. Of course, this is the last chapter in the book. And the, the maiden, it's the final stage of her journey. It's the final place of her journey. I will say this, that Song of Solomon 8, the mature bride in Song of Solomon 8, that is a picture also of the mature church at the end of the age, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 27, he says he's, he's purifying for himself that the church would be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. In Song of Solomon 4.10, he says, you have no spot in you. By Song of Solomon 8, we see what she looks like as a mature bride who's spotless. And so it is this passage is as much a passage of our own personal journey with God into maturity and love as it is a passage about where the church is going in maturity before the Lord returns. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Put a little draw on this tonight, okay, guys? So when you're reading Song of Solomon 8, think of it in that context. It's where you're going in the maturity of your walk with the Lord. It's where he's taking you. But it's where he's taking the church in an, in, at the end of the age, in an eschatological context. All right. So we'll work through this. Song of Solomon 8.1. It has a peculiar start, this passage. <clears throat> She's been vindicated. He's spoken tenderly over her. She's been vindicated by other believers. She's been vindicated by the Lord and here we are, and she's going to now speak, and she says this. She says, oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. Now, that is a high-context passage in the allegory for several reasons. Uh, it's, it's talking about cultural norms from this time period, from the time period of Solomon. And those cultural norms are like this, that it was normal in that part of the world for brothers and sisters to walk hand in hand or arm in arm in public. But anyone who was not married could not uh, hold hands or lock arms with someone of the opposite sex. In fact, that's the case in... Um, uh, parts of the world even right now in the Middle East especially um, because of propriety there's like laws about propriety there and so what she's saying is I wish you were like my brother 
who nursed at my mother's breast, that would be not a, 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 an adopted brother, a brother from, you know, in this time frame, there would be, you know, uh, sometimes multiple wives with multiple children and all that. This would be, uh, you know, she says, I want you to be my a brother, like from my mom, that we're actually united, we're linked relationally. And she says, because then... I could be I could I could be so close to you in the public that no one would think anything was odd. She goes, I want to have an expression that's in my heart, the the expression of love that's in my heart. I want to express that for you in public in front of everybody. She goes, I wouldn't I want I don't want I wouldn't be despised if you were like my own brother. And and the point that she's making and this is how it applies to us is there's a longing in the mature bride, the longing of love that in every public space, she wants everybody to know how she feels about him. It's the desire that you experience when you, I don't know, go to class or go to school or go to wherever, the grocery store, and you see somebody who they really need Jesus. And you're thinking, I need to somehow share the gospel with them. They need to know the love of Jesus. That's what's in her, this bold desire to share him in the public spaces. She says, oh, if I could, if I could just hold you hand in hand in the public. She goes, if I could just show everyone how much I love you, then it, it would be something that would be acceptable if you were like my own brother. She goes, I want the love that's in my heart to be accepted by everybody. The love I have for you to be accepted by everybody. So it starts with this longing that she would move into this place of boldness in ministry. And I think that that becomes such an interesting thing in your journey. I remember as a young man, I just, you know, I, like the, for me it was like, oh, I, I got, I, I, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to share with the gospel with people. And I was almost like under a, um, like, negatively compelled, like, I know if I don't share, their blood's going to be on my hands, and you know what I mean, like, under this pressure to share the gospel. But then I, I learned the love of God, and when I fell in love, sharing the gospel with people became a whole different thing. I wasn't sharing with people, like, like if I don't share them, they're going to go to hell. I mean, we don't want anybody to go to hell, but that wasn't the motivation. The motivation was God loves them. God loves them. I want them to know love. I want them to know the love of God. And that being the compulsion of the heart, that when you are so in love with him, that everybody you come in contact with, you want them to know his love too. That's when you're stepping into that place of maturity. It's like, no, really, I just, I just want you to know God's love. I want you to know the way he thinks about you. And that brings us to this point of evangelism. We don't evangelize because of the broken state of the lost, though that is, an, that is something that has to be addressed. We evangelize because the broken heart of God. It's his heart of love that compels us to go to that broken person and introduce them to what will absolutely change and revolutionize their whole world. Yes, we have the antidote to their condition, but the fact that they're sick isn't enough to compel us. 
Their sickness in sin isn't enough to compel us, though it's painful and difficult. The most compelling thing is the love of God. And it's contacting the reality of God's love, his broken heart for them that then compels you into action. And it'll put you in harm's way. It'll, it'll, cause all sort, it'll cause you to do all sorts of things. Love will make you do all sorts of things you would never choose to, to do otherwise. But love is such a compelling agent. It's the love of Christ that compels us, that it constrains us, it controls us. So the, the love of God motivating us into evangelism, that's the key to evangelism. And for years, I, I evangelized out of shame. You ever, you ever been in that place? You don't have to raise your hand. But you think, man, if I don't go do it, who's going to do it? Their blood's going to be on my hands. Oh, no. And I, and, I, and I appreciate that. Like, yes, we don't want anyone to experience the wrath of God. But that, the fear of that and the shame of not speaking isn't what God uses to motivate his bride to share the love of God. It's his love. It's, so it's coming in contact with his love that moves us into boldness and we, and we say it like she says it. She goes, oh, I want to give, give you my love in front of everybody. I want to kiss you in front of everybody. I want everyone to know your love. That's the idea. So verse 3, this is a critical thought, and we've touched it. She said it before. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. Guys, for your whole life, just hear me like, for your whole life, there are going to be things God saves you from and leads you into without you knowing it. That's his left hand under your head or behind your head. He will lead you. He will influence you. I call it um, magooing into stuff. Does anybody know, this room should not know this, does anybody know in this room who Magoo is? Do I have a person, is there one among us who knows Magoo? Do you know Magoo? Yes. You need to go up and pull up some YouTube videos and find Magoo, M-A-G-O-O. Magoo is this little man, this cartoon character from like 1927, back when I was born, is this little man with these Coke bottle glasses. And are you going to put Magoo on the thing? That would be awesome if you just painted, if you painted Magoo real quick. So he's got these Coke bottle glasses. And Magoo is always, he's always bumbling around. And he is like always getting in the way of stuff. He's like walking out in the middle of the street. He doesn't know he's in the middle of the street. He's like walking under the ladder. Stuff's falling off the ladder. But Magoo... He like, he never gets like flattened by the truck. He, the thing never falls on him. He's the one that always like starts the thing falling, but it doesn't hit him. It hits the guy after him. He's that guy. So he's magooing around and he's, he doesn't even know, but he ends up like always in the right place at the right time. That's the left-handed activity of God. It's like we're blind, but he just influences us. He just moves us into things that we had no idea how to even get into. He moves us out of things that we had no idea that he was delivering us from. You're sitting here, listen, you're praying for something. God, I need you to do this. God, it's gotta happen. It's gotta happen by my time. It's gotta happen this way, God. 
and nothing happens. And you go, God, you're not answering my prayer. And then you forget about that prayer and you move along. And what you don't realize is, had he answered that prayer, 10 other negative dominoes would have fallen right on you. And he left-handed you right out of it. Does that make sense? And then there's moments where his right hand, his right hand embraces me. That's the power. The right hand of God is the power of God. The embrace. You, if, somebody, if somebody throws an arm around you, you feel that. And then there's those times in life where the right hand of God, he's moving in power in your life and directing you with clarity. He's directing you with unction. You sense his presence. He get, you get the prophetic word. You get the power encounter. You know, you get all the goosebumps, the dream, the power hits, all that stuff. That's the right-handed activity of God. Does that make sense? We, we spend almost all of our time looking for the right hand and I think he mostly moves us with his left hand. We, you know, we almost don't ever, we, we never can really in the moment verify the left hand of God. But we don't verify God's activity in our lives unless it's the right hand usually. It has to be a power encounter. It has to be something dynamic. It has to be the word blew my mind or that prayer meeting, you know, is a speedboat or whatever. It's got to be that or we don't verify God's activity. And I'm telling you, at least half, and I think it's way more than that, but at least half of God's activity in your life is the left hand. The imperceptible activity of God influencing your heart and directing your attention because you turn the head from the back. And he's directing your attention. He's pointing things out. He's keeping you from stuff and leading you into stuff that you did not even realize. And I'm going to tell you, uh, when we stand before him and he's reviewing our life, that time when he goes over all the stuff he kept you out of that you had no idea, the car wrecks you didn't get into, the unanswered prayers that saved you radically. And we're like, God, I need the shortcut. I need the shortcut. And he left hands you, not into the shortcut, into the long cut. And you're going, God, you're so much stronger than this. You're, so much, you're supposed to be better than this. How come? How come? And along the long cut, he taught you 10 things and you grew 10 times in strength that if he had shortcutted it, he would have absolutely shortcutted your whole spiritual maturity. You need the left hand. And he's moving in the power of his left hand constantly. And we get offended with him when he moves with his left hand. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's his kindness that he doesn't give us everything that we pray for in the time that we want it, in the way that we want it. It's his kindness so often that keeps us out of calamities we have no idea of. And, and, and it's, it's, it will be so verified. The activity of God will be so verified when we get to review all of it. We'll see the left-handed activities. I love the right hand. I'm a, I'm a 
an addict for the right-handed activity of God. That's what I'm talking about. But the left hand is so, so important. All right, verse, verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Okay, guys, listen. This is where it's going. The church at the end of the age is going to be so transformed that she's not going to be recognizable. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle. She's going to be irrecognizable. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? The wilderness of this age. The whole challenge of this life. Who is this coming up? She's leaning on her beloved. So imagine you have a, a horse and a rider coming up over, over the uh, horizon. And it's sunset. And the sun is setting behind them. The rider and the horse, as they're coming up over the sun, over the horizon, the, the sun is setting behind them, and you're looking, you're going, who is that? Because it's a glare. You can't quite tell who it is. And then you, you look at it, the more you look at it, you're like, wait, is it one or is it two? Oh, it's two people on a horse. Who is this? Now, this is, this is the maiden that they've been talking to this entire journey, and they can't figure out who she is. She's been so transformed. And I'm telling you, you are going somewhere in God that you have no idea what you're going to look like. He's transforming you. He's taking you through a process of maturation in love. It's not just you're going to get older. It's you are going to get mature in love, and your heart is going to be so transformed. You're not even going to look anything like what you look like today. And he is so committed to you, he will not leave you as you are. Anyone who wants him, who wants to grow in him, anyone who, who wants to, to go deep in God, anyone who wants to, to be mature in love, he will take you on a journey. You'll go through Song of Solomon 3. You'll go through those seasons of disobedience and he'll correct you. You'll go through Song of Solomon 5 and you'll go through those seasons of the dark night where it seems like he's left you but he's called you deeper. You'll go through Song of Solomon 6 where he comes and meets you with power and 7 where people are accusing you but he's vindicating you. You'll go through all those seasons. You'll go through 2 where there's these wonderful times under the shade tree and it's like a season of revival, personal revival. You'll go through all of those and, and it'll happen in cycles in your life. It's not just point A to point B. It's, it's up and down and in and out. And, and we always want God to go from here to here in our lives. And, and we want it to be a straight line up. And God is like, you know, and you're like, no. He's like, yes. You're like, ah. Boom! I mean, and it just, the thing goes all over the place. But at the end of it all, you're here. <laughs> you're there. Transformed. Transformed. This is the journey you're on. Listen, if you can get out of all the hurdles that continue, the sins that so easily beset, if you can just, if you can say, if you can just say yes to him and, and, and no to, to the enemy and to all the ways he tempts you, 
And just keep saying yes. Sometimes you're going to blow it, but keep saying yes, keep saying yes, keep saying yes. He's going to take you to a place of maturity and love. That's where he's taking you. And the challenge is when you hit a difficult moment, when you hit Song of Solomon 3 or when you hit Song of Solomon 5, will you stay the course all the way through it? Because, guys, listen. There is a massive, massive difference between somebody who is, has been a Christian for 25 years and has had 25 years of growth versus somebody who's been a Christian for 25 years who's had one year of growth and stagnated for 24 years. And they get stuck in these places of divine discipline or they get stuck in these dark nights or they get stuck in offense or self-pity or they get stuck in unforgiveness. For years, I've seen believers for years. And their, their entire spiritual walk, is, it's like arrested development. They're just stuck. And he wants to take you to mature in love. He wants to take you to this place like, who is this? Who are you? Well, that's your, that's your destiny. But notice, it says, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Notice she's not strutting next to him. Notice she's not like flexing and showing how awesome she is. Notice that she's leaning, which indicates that she is resting in him, that she's not propping herself up with her own strength. Notice that she's leaning on him, maybe because she has to. Because where he's taking the bride is maturity and love and perfection of strength. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness and so she's leaning not in her own strength leaning on her beloved she's transformed she's mature she looks just like him you can't tell the two apart is it one or is it two so then he's going to say this to her he goes, I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. So he's now reminding her. So this is, this is a callback to chapter two. Remember, she's, she says, sustain me with cakes and raisins. And, 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 and she says, refresh me with apples. She's, she's experiencing delight in love with him. The fruit of, of the spirit is, is causing her heart to come alive. And so she, he's calling her back to that place in chapter two. She's in this personal revival. He goes, that's where I awakened you. Remember that season of love? He, he, so when you got saved, and, and that might be your season right now because some of us are brand new, fresh, and that's awesome. But where you, man, you got into God and it was like everything was God, God talking to you, everything. The billboard, the commercial, the clock, the rando verse, Bible pops open. It's the word. I mean, it's just everything. And have you ever had that where you just like, almost like you can just play Bible roulette, just boom, and it's like God speaking. You're like, this thing's alive. Like, oh my gosh. Just me? Okay, well, 
there's those seasons. <laughs> but you, you've had those experiences where it's like he's speaking through everything and your heart's moved and alive and prayer's easy and reading the Bible's awesome and every verse is popping. And then you get out of that and you're like, whoa, what happened to the speedboat? I'm in a rowboat. And it feels like I'm rowing uphill somehow. And, and, it, and it gets, all of a sudden, man, it's just like, I, I, all I can do is step, 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 step after step. Well, it's, it's those moments he wants to remind you, remember when I awakened you. Remember what it was like at the beginning. He always calls us back to our, our origin story. Remember when I met you. And that's what he's doing with her here. She, he goes, I awakened you under the, the, the apple tree, that, that season of love in chapter two that we had. Remember that moment because this is your whole life. And he comes, she comes out of that. She says, his banner over me, it is love. It's everything for my whole life is love. He goes, remember that moment. That's when you were awakened. That's when you were born again. That's what he, he says. The mother brought you forth. That's the idea of the church bearing forth a new soul. He goes, remember that. Because there's something I want to tell you now. It's verse six. He goes, you remember how it was. You remember what it's like to live this way. These are the seasons of love and life that I want to take you through. But there's something I want to say to you now to secure that place of maturity and love in your life. He says, set me. Set me. He is saying it to her. Set me as a seal on your heart. As a seal on your arm. Set me on your heart like a seal over your heart and like a seal over your arm. He goes, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel or severe as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. What, what's flames? The flames of love are flames of fire. A most vehement flame. And then he goes and he says, many waters can't quench love. Rivers cannot overwhelm love. They can't drown it out. A man could give all that he has of his house for love. It would be utterly despised. He goes, I want you to place me over your heart. And he's not just saying place me, but he's saying place my love on your heart. Okay, so the heart, that's, that's the inner life. That's the, the emotions, thoughts, the feelings, the heart, the, the inside of the person. He goes, set my love as a seal over your inner life. The arm, you guys know this, this is the strength of the person, the outer life. He goes, I'm telling you, where I brought you from and where you are going to stay in maturity, it requires that your heart, your inner life, and your outer life be sealed with my love. Set me as a seal on your heart. That seal is a protective seal, but it's also an ownership seal. 
So the seal protects the heart. It protects the outer actions. The seal is a covering that protects, but the seal is also like an insignia. Like, you know, when you get something notarized and they, they stamp it with a, like a seal. It's the imprint that says, I'm owned by him. My heart, my inner life is owned by his love. My outer life, my, my arm, it's owned by his love. And here's what you have to understand, guys. Listen, something has sealed your heart already. Every person's heart is sealed. Something has stamped every person's heart. It's what motivates them. It's what compels them. It's what they're known for. Some people's heart, it's, it's sealed with money. Some people's heart, it's sealed with pleasure. Some people's heart, it's sealed with notoriety or power or position. What is your heart sealed with? What has your heart? Because this journey into maturity in Jesus, it only can happen if your heart is sealed by his love. Even in the church, there's many people in the church and their heart is sealed with a longing to be noticed. A desire for position. What's your heart sealed with? Everybody's heart is sealed with something. What's got yours? And hopefully through the journey of Song of Solomon, you're saying, no, it really is the love of God. It is what I'm living for. It's what I want more than anything. I want the love of God. He goes, then place me as a seal on your heart. What is it that you're spending yourself for? What are you using your strength for? Again, your, your strength is sealed with something. What are you working for? I like to say it this way. What are you fighting for? I watch people in conflicts all the time. And, I, and the, this one's, burr, 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 and this one's, burr, burr, and they're barking at each other, and they're going back and forth. And, and I'll just go, hold on, hold on, hold on. So what are you fighting for? What is it you're actually after? And that locates where you're putting your strength, locates where your heart is. The arm and the heart, they're gonna be sealed with the same thing. It's just gonna express itself in different ways. The heart seal is gonna express itself in longing and desire. The arm seal is gonna express itself in action. What has got your heart and your arm sealed? Everybody's is sealed with something. He goes, well, if you want, he goes, you are awakened under the apple tree. He goes, and you're on this journey, and you are here. You're experiencing love. You're living in maturity. He goes, now, finalize it. Set me as a seal on your heart. Let me seal your heart. Let me seal your arm. And it's not just any seal. This is the love of God that seals us. 
The love of God becomes the greatest desire and longing of the heart. So it doesn't really matter what happens to you if you are living alive in love. So there's an often quoted verse from Revelation chapter 12, uh, and we love it in spiritual warfare circles because it says, they overcame him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And then most people stop the verse right there and they go dot, dot, dot. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. So we think it means you get saved and you tell your testimony and you're overcoming the devil. And those are two parts of, th of three parts. The third part is, and they did not love their life unto the death. That's a convenient place for people to put a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Because it was like, I'm just going to get saved and tell my testimony and overcome the devil. <laughs> he goes, and they didn't love their life unto the death. Oh. Listen, you have it hardwired inside of you that if something is threatening your life, you have an automatic reaction and a reflex to try to protect yourself. You will automatically try to protect yourself. It's why when you're on the road and you're driving your car and a car cuts you off, you instantaneously slam the brakes on or swerve. Or somebody, you know, goes, think fast and throws it something at your face, you, you know, you block. You're automatically going to protect your own well-being. It's hardwired in you. So how can you get to the place where you don't love your life unto death? How is that possible? He's not talking about suicide, the only way a human being cannot love their own life unto death is if they love Jesus more than their own life. That's the only way you can get there because it's so hardwired into you to protect your own life. But just as he loved you more than his own life and laid himself down willingly for you and I, he wants a bride who will lay herself down willingly for him. And this is where it's going, that the seal on the heart, and he says it's love, it's as strong as death. It's more severe, his, jealousy, his jealous love is more severe than death. Love is strong as death, jealousy is as cruel as the grave means, it's more severe even than death. And I never understood what was going on in God. Like, you're jealous? I don't, like, I don't get that. Like, what are you talking about? In Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, Our God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I go, Je jealousy sounds bad. Jealousy sounds like I'm jealous because my neighbor's got a nicer car than me and I want his car. It's, you know, it's like, jealous sounds like, you know, the... the the boyfriend that thinks every dude's looking at the girl and I'm gonna punch him out. You know, jealous didn't sound good. He goes, no, no. I'm jealous for your love. He goes, what's in the way? What other lovers are in the way of you and I? What is taking your affections? What is taking your attentions? He goes, my love is jealous. He calls himself zealous and jealous. His love is ferocious. It's stronger 
Love is strong as death, more cruel, more severe than death. Love. Because this is what I want to get you in touch with, is my love that is more intense than even death. That's why Jesus would willingly go to the cross, because his love is stronger than preserving himself against death. Are y'all tracking me? But then he says this, it's flames, the flames of love, are flames of fire. The New King James says, a most vehement flame. But the New American Standard says, the very flame of jaw, J-A-H, which jaw is a shortened word for Jehovah. This radically, radically changed my life. This is the point I really want to get you to get. He says, my love is fire. It's stronger than death. It's more cruel than the grave. It's, it's flames. The flame of my love is fire, the very fire of God. It was so mind-boggling to me because for years I thought, man, I'm gonna preach the fire of God. It's gonna be power and repentance and glory of God and everybody's gonna get slain in the spirit and blown up and demons are coming out of people. We're gonna get everybody healed. Ah, fire of God, you know, like that. And I love all that. And he goes, and it doesn't, ha- it doesn't work that way. My love is my fire. My love is my fire. The fire of God and the love of God are one reality. Get this. The fire of God and the love of God are one reality. You want to be on fire for God? Then that means you want to be on love for God. You want your heart to burn? That means you want it to be filled with love. That means you want your heart to be sealed with love. There's something about having a burning heart that you will not allow anything else to steal your affections, steal your emotions. You won't let anything else to cause you to, to, to get in the way of between you and God. I had to laugh. How many saw Jesus Revolution? Did y'all see the movie? So there's a scene in the movie toward the end. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's a great movie. It's not, it's not your average Christian movie, but... Uh, let me not detour. Um, there's a scene at the end where the, the main character says to his girlfriend, I just need to tell you, if anything gets in, in between you and me, I mean, if anything gets between, if you and I get between me and God, it's over between us. <laughs> he gives her the talk, you know, like, if, if you get between my relationship with me and God, it's over between us. I literally said that to my wife. <laughs> Way back in the dark ages. I was like, I just, I mean, I love you, but I'm telling you, like, if you, if you distract me from God, you got to go. God's like, boy, wake up. I'm giving you a good thing here, man. Just settle down. But that idea is this, that my heart 
is so compelled, controlled, constrained by the love of God. I want nothing else to steal my affections, to steal my attentions. He goes, the fire of my love, I want your heart to be sealed with that. And it just, it was so, it was so life-changing for me. It's why I have no problem for us taking 12 weeks to talk about Song of Solomon. Because my greatest desire is you be on fire for Jesus. And to get you on fire for Jesus, I gotta get you on love for Jesus. I gotta get you in love so you can be on fire. Does that make sense? And that's the thing, if we, will, if we preach love, if we preach the love of God the right way, it will have a compelling component to it where you will become more on fire for God, more abandoned, more, you know, set against sin. And I know how this works. You begin to taste the love of God and you've got, a, you've got an area in your life that God's dealing with you about and you taste the love of God and you go, no, I'll never do it again. I love you, I love you, I love you. And you go for a minute and you're like, I love you, God. And it's going awesome. And then you, you slip up and you fall back into the sin and the devil goes, see, you don't love God. You're a hypocrite. And God goes, no, no, no. You love me. You've got dove's eyes. Lean back into love. Keep coming. Set me as a seal on your heart. Guys, that reality, that truth, that the love of God and the fire of God were they're one and the same, it changed me. Because I realized it's not about muscling up in my own strength. It's not about trying harder or being bold or louder or any of that. And my personality is automatically that way. But it's not, it's not about that. Whatever I am in my own strength, that's not it. What is it is knowing his radical love, his affections for me, and letting that transform me from the inside out. And if you haven't spent time under the heat lamp of his love, and dealt with the fact that Jesus loves you so much. He was so willing and wanting to suffer for you. Not just to take your place as some like, you know, legalistic like transaction. But he wanted you so bad. He was willing to suffer and die. He suffered for love. Because he wanted you like that. Sit under the heat lamp of that. Hold a communion cup in your hand with the bread and the wine and stare at it and recognize God himself became a man because of love and he wanted you. And let that just melt away all the fantasy, all the other lovers, all the coldness in your own heart. Just deal with it that God wanted you that way. And man, when that heat gets hot, like the psalmist said, he goes, he goes the, the eye of the Lord was on me like the summer sun. My heart was baking in my chest because he could feel the gaze of God and, it, and, and, and the love and the desire of God, but the jealousy of God to call him out of his sin. It's the love of God that calls us out of compromise. The fire of his love. Because many waters can't quench it. 
Rivers cannot overwhelm it. A man could get everything in his whole life, all that he owns for love, it would be despised. It's not worth it. Love is so much more valuable. And here's what you have to deal with. God loves you and that's it. He's not stopping. And he loves you so much, he will not leave you as you are. He is coming after you and me. And he is continually pursuing us until love, the fire of love, burns up every other thing. These moments of fasting and prayer, we're leaning in, we're seeking God, we're staying up at midnight, and I just, you know, last night it was like 30 of us here, and I was like, guys, this is ridiculous, you're the greatest people on the planet, like you're up at midnight and you're skipping meat and cake because you want to be with Jesus, it's like, what is wrong with y'all? Y'all are exactly the people I want to be around. And it's, it's in those moments where that hit the fire of his love, it's just, it's just just even the thought of one moment of encounter, like, in his love, like, it's just burning up all that other stuff. Many waters can't quench love. Floods can't drown it. A man could give all the wealth of his house for love. It'd be utterly despised. Well, this is what I want to pray for you about tonight, and there's more in the notes, and you can look at it later but I'm just telling you this is everything guys this is everything having your heart sealed with the love of God the protection and the insignia of God on your heart where you say I want to live for love and love alone and then the love of God it, it melts us and it compels us and it burns away all the the the, the questionable areas, changes our attitude. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we think about others. It changes the way we relate to the lost. It changes the way we relate to that person that we get along with the least. Because all of a sudden you start realizing he loves me that way. He loves them that way. I must love them too. This is everything, guys. I don't, I, I don't believe there is Christianity without a revelation of the love of God. It's just, it's just not, it's not reality. There is no dutiful Christianity. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, he, it, he says it. He goes, you can do all these righteous things, and if it's dutiful and it's not because of love, it's nothing, and that idea is so foreign to us because we always want to give people lists and rules and one, two, three, four, fives, do all these things. And I'm telling you, those lists might be helpful as a guideline, but they are not going to get you out of sin and get you on fire for God. There's one thing that will get you on fire for God, the love of God, burning your heart, sealing your arm. That's it. And no matter what series we preach next, this one is the one. This is the one we've got to get. I'm going, to, I'm going to do something on relationships at the beginning of the year. I'm going to do something on human sexuality at the beginning of the year. Guess what? 
It doesn't matter if you don't know the love of God. It just doesn't matter. Literally, nothing else trumps this. God is love. And he wants to place his seal over your heart and call you into a wonderful journey of maturity, of transformation. He wants to call you into, I mean, an array of, of experience and encounter. All in love. All in love. All because of his desire. So that's what I want to pray for people tonight. And look, you may feel nothing. The point isn't, what did you feel? Did you? you may have a completely left-hand experience with God tonight. But my hope is that in the days ahead, that there will be an anchor in your soul that says love is strong as death. It's more cruel than the grave. The flames of love are the way I want to live my whole life. That you want to live on fire. You want to live in love. So one last thought. It's the day of Pentecost. They're in an upper room. They hear a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. They hear that. It doesn't say a wind was blowing. They hear a sound. But then appeared to them tongues of fire, not tongues in the mouth, tongues of fire. It's just the English word. A piece of fire is called a tongue. Fire starts appearing to them. They see it. They hear wind. They see fire. The fire, it says, breaks apart and sets on each one of them. Boom, 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 boom. Physical, visible, holy fire sets on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the love of God is the fire of God. They were having, the day of Pentecost is Song of Solomon 8.6. They're, they are getting sealed with the love of God. The fire of his love falling on each person. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues of the Spirit, give them utterance. And then they, they preach the gospel and thousands get saved and signs and wonders ensue and all these things. And we always emphasize the power of it. But let me tell you something. There is no power outside of love. Ephesians 3, he makes it clear that you know the height, the width, the depth, the length. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who does exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. The abundantly above all you can ask or think happens to the person that knows the love of God. We've, we've given people all these recipes of getting into power that don't include getting baptized in love. And it is, it's like we've taken the ingredients of a cake and served them eggs on its own and flour on its own and sugar on its own and told them that's cake. 
No, the fire of God, the love of God, the power of God, the baptism of the Spirit, it's all one reality. The sealing of the heart in love, that's what this is about. So that you live all your days compelled by love. Sealed in love. So that when you sin and you slip up, it's love and not shame that draws you to repentance. Shame never got anyone to repent. It just got them to be condemned. Love called them back. So that's what I want to ask the Lord to do tonight. You might feel nothing. You might feel everything. It's not about what you feel. It's about what you say to the Lord and what you accept. And you're going to say, Lord, set, be set on my heart. Set your love, your fire on my heart. Seal my heart, Jesus. Seal my heart, Jesus. Seal me with fire. Seal me with love. You ask him for that, and you believe it, and you receive it, no matter what happens, and then we walk in it. We just ask him. It may be all left hand. It may be all right hand. It doesn't really matter. It's just setting your faith in that place. Amen. All right, let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, yeah, so if you'd like prayer, just want to invite you just to step out from where you're standing. Just come down here in the altar. We'll pray for you and ask the Lord to seal your heart with love. Seal your heart with fire. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to live this way. We want to live this way. We want to live this way, Lord. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next message.